Check this out, y'all. Audio level full volume. It's your time. This is Border to Border with Matt Josephs. He's super famous. This guy's a fraud, a phony. I respect women. I love women. I respect them so much that I completely stay away from them. Matt, your manliness is overwhelming. Sports, 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 sports. Audio level full volume. It's go time. Here's Matt Josephs on Richmond's 1061 ESPN. Good afternoon, everybody. Border to Border, 1061 ESPN. Matt Joseph's here on a Thursday. I think it's not a bad Thursday. It's nice outside, a little crisp as we head into November. This is what the weather should be like. The heater should be on, not the uh, the AC like it was at the end of October. Got a lot to get into on the show today. Only one guest we talked about yesterday. I did this interview yesterday, so it is taped. Uh, we are going to play my conversation with Zeb Jackson of VCU. Uh, I got his thoughts on the team as a whole, his offseason, the early schedule with a lot of home games. Talked about a bunch of stuff. You'll hear that at 3.15 coming up on the show. And um, I'm, I'm getting excited for college basketball. Like, I'm not there yet, but I'm getting there because um, I think this state has a chance to uh, – have some success. I think this state has a chance to have some successful teams. We'll get more into that tomorrow and definitely on Monday when we start looking at the the games and everything. But I, I think we could see several conference winners. We could see several other things that are going on here. Uh, but college basketball is coming up starting Monday. Uh, and in about 12, 13 minutes or so, you'll hear my conversation with Zeb Jackson. Uh, 3270-888, that is the phone number. That is the text line. 804 is the area code. I um, it's funny. I the more I hear about this Michigan story, the more I, I I laugh about this whole thing, because you read everything that's coming out from all of the coaches and all of the other people in the Big Ten, and they they're like, we need something happening. We need to you know you need to do stop them. This needs to happen, and it's like. I always feel like the people who who are the loudest when it comes to this sort of thing are the ones who need to worry about it the most. Like I do, you just heard at the top of the hour the story that basically said the coaches are urging the, the the conference to do something, and there's a lot of people frustrated and they're all venting to Tony Batiti. I can guarantee you the Monday after this story came out, every school in America. All right, maybe not every school in America. Most schools in America came out and had secret meetings and basically said, um, how tight is our cheating scandal? Or how, how, how tight is our situation? Like, can they trace us? Can we, you know, will we get in trouble? I guarantee you, and you're sitting here, you're saying, my school doesn't do it. Well, yes. if, you're, if your school doesn't do it, you're stupid. I'm just saying. Miami definitely does it. Stop it. 100%. If that's the only thing we're ever accused of, I'd be happy. I'm just saying, like, if you sit there in your car, your office, whatever, and you're saying, yeah, my school doesn't do it. Guarantee they do something. Just like I feel like it's funny, whenever somebody's loud enough about, you know, scandals and um, academic things and, like, NCAA rules violations, even the slightest ones, I guarantee you, your school is doing it too. So, I'll tell you this, I'm sure... I'm 100% sure that that day after it came out, everybody said 
If somebody looked at our program, would there be issues? Can we tighten things up? Can we stop it? Can we make sure we're not as blatantly obvious as Michigan was? I think that's why they should get in trouble more than anything else is because this was so brazen and this was so poorly done and executed that I think that's why they should get in trouble more than them actually doing it. And I just think it's funny. The coaches are, you you know, the coaches are going crazy because they didn't like losing to Michigan. And the funny thing is, if you look at Michigan's schedule the last couple years, like if they were doing this against Central Michigan and Hawaii and Bowling Green and like all the teams that they could beat naturally, then yeah, they should get punished even more. But if they're doing it in some of their tough games, funny thing is, the last couple of years, they haven't had any tough games. Ohio State and Penn State, that's it. And then, of course, the playoffs. And TCU knew, and they used dummy calls. And Georgia knew, and it didn't matter because Georgia was just that much better than Michigan. So I just think it's funny. We're reading all this stuff about how it all, you know, all the things that Michigan did. To me, it's like, all right, better tighten things up yourself because guess what? Guarantee your school's doing it too. Guarantee. Um, so that's what's going on. This story's never going to die. The thing is, you either pen, you either punish Michigan or you don't. You have to decide soon because if you do it, if you you know, once we get to playoff time and they're going to be in the playoff unless they lose two games, now maybe the wink wink thing that they're going to do is call a bunch of BS penalties on them in the Penn State game and the Ohio State game and rob them of an opportunity to go to the Big Ten championship game and the playoffs. Other than that, I don't I don't see what the conference can do. Because I guarantee you, if they make an re- investigation of other places, it's they'll find things that happen on all these other campuses. So the more this story comes... The Central Michigan thing's ridiculous. It's not him on the sidelines. There's no way that he is at a Central Michigan game brazenly wearing Central Michigan gear, stealing Michigan State sign. Like, I, I, it would be insanity if that was the case. But all the internet sleuths are out there trying to, to say it. it is. Don't trust the internet when it comes to this sort of thing. Do not trust the internet when it comes to this sort of thing. Uh, so we got college football tonight in one game involving the ACC, and something's going on. Duke was a 12-point favorite against Wake Forest, even uh, yesterday. But today, that line fell all the way down to six and a half. There's no official word on what's going on with Duke, but I'm guessing that Riley Leonard is not playing tonight. It's my guess. He's got an ankle injury. Um, the backup quarterback, Henry Bell in the fourth, has an upper body injury. He's questionable. The third stringer, Grayson Loftus, might be starting for Duke. I liked Wake Forest before this game, even before any of this sort of stuff came out. Short week. Wake's coming off a two emotional. Uh, Duke is coming off two emotional losses. They got North Carolina next week. I I liked Wake Forest anyway, so I got them at the twelve. Now I wouldn't take it. You missed the best number, and so to me, it's like you missed the best number. You're not going to go chasing. Uh, so that game's at seven thirty tonight. Seven o'clock TCU in Texas. Seven thirty also in the Sun Belt. Troy and South Alabama. All three of those games probably will be better than the NFL game tonight, which I feel like has been the case. The Thursday night games this year have been horrific for the most part. The Thursday night games in the NFL take away the first one as the season begins because that was the opening Thursday night game. It was Chiefs-Lions. Every other game so far has been pretty bad. 
Bills, Buccaneers last week, Jags, Saints, Broncos, Chiefs, Commanders, Bears, Lions, Packers, Niners, Giants, Eagles, Vikings. All those games have been pretty bad for the most part. Because Thursday night football is terrible. Because we shouldn't have Thursday night football. Because we should let these people have be able to rest. But Roger Goodell continues to be stubborn, continues to put on the Thursday night games. They continue to be bad. He continues to have Al Michaels do them, continues to have Al Michaels be bad on these broadcasts because he doesn't want to be there. And Kirk Herbstreit doesn't want to be there because he looks down on college football uh, because he, or he looks down on pro football because he's a college football guy, which I completely agree. But like, if you watch these games, the broadcasting is just mediocre. It's the NFL. You would think that they'd be able to get better people to do these games, but. Al Michaels is a name, and Kirk Herbstreet's a name, but yet neither of them care. Like, Al Michaels just doesn't care anymore. I wouldn't be surprised if Al Michaels retires. I wouldn't be surprised if eventually, once Kirk Herbstreet's contract runs out, he's going to leave Thursday Night Football. Tonight's game is uh, Kenny Pickett and the Pittsburgh Steelers at home against Will Levis. And the Tennessee Titans. I mean, it just screams mediocrity. Steelers are a field goal favorite tonight. Uh, I saw a stat that, that Mike Tomlin is has a losing record against the spread in the first half, so there's people betting the first half of this game. I just would not bet anything in this game and skip it and get to know your family tonight. Uh, quickly, the NFL on Sunday, the Commanders are a three-point underdog at New England. No Curtis Samuel tonight. Uh, and no Curtis Samuel once again in practice. He's got the foot injury. Uh, so we're kind of dealing with this again. Last year he didn't play that much. It felt like he's always trying to do some injuries and stuff like that. So um, it's all very frustrating when it comes to Curtis Samuel because you know, they brought him over and thought he was going to do a lot of good things. Luckily last game Jahan Dotson stepped up. But for the most part of this season Jahan Dotson hadn't done anything for the Commanders. And they're playing a New England team who's starting the wrong quarterback. They should be starting Bailey Zappi. They're starting Mac Jones. They're not very good, but it's a road game. Does anybody want to trust Washington? And as we go to break, I'm going to throw this out there to the listeners. You can text in 3-8-2-7-0-8-8-8-8-0-4 is the area code. Tweet me at midmajormat. Station Twitter is at ESPN Richmond. So I'm still in my survivor pool. I really want to burn Atlanta this week. And take the Falcons at home against the the Vikings. The Jaron Hall-led Vikings without Justin Jefferson. Taylor Heineke's in for Atlanta. That gives me hope. I watched Taylor Heineke a lot of last season. I don't love the guy, but he's better than Desmond Ritter. They're a four-point favorite. Don't I re- bet it. I know. I know. I don't trust Cleveland. They're an eight-point favorite. We still don't know if Deshaun Watson's playing, although it looks like he is. We don't know. If, Ky- if Kyler Murray's out, I might go Cleveland. But Cleveland's also been known to disappoint people. Uh, there's also New Orleans, who's an eight and a half point favorite. They're at home. That usually was good, but the Saints have not been great at home. They lost at home on a Thursday night to Jacksonville. It's a tough week uh, for the old survivor pool. So uh, if you want to tell me who you are taking in yours, uh, you can certainly do so. Uh, text in or uh, tweet in as well. All right, let's take a timeout. College basketball coming up on Monday. Uh, VCU is at home against McNeese State. Uh, Joining us next segment, you'll hear the conversation I had yesterday with Zeb Jackson, one of the veterans on the team. How's the roster construction been going, the chemistry, his role on the team? We'll touch on all of that stuff next. You're listening to 106.1 ESPN.
Tune in today. We've got you covered. You can find full replays of all our shows and interviews at ESPNRichmond.com and on the iHeartRadio app. And uh, getting you set for the basketball season coming up on Monday. It is when the official begins. And uh, VCU takes the court as they host McNeese State, 7 o'clock at the Siegel Center. First of many home games to start out the season. And uh, one of the many players you will see during that game joining us now, senior Zeb Jackson. Zeb, how's it going? Good. How's it going with you? Doing well, Zeb. Uh, obviously, you guys had the exhibition uh, against Mars Hill. I mean, obviously, it's not exactly a Division One caliber team, but how did you feel the team came out of that one? Uh, I feel like we came out good. I mean, we, we respected our opponent. Um, I feel like we did what we were supposed to do uh, in that regard, no matter who we're playing, and uh, especially for us to not have Max, Sean, and Joe's waiver still being in the air. I, I feel like we did a, a good job of coming out, hitting shots, uh, playing hard, and just seeing what we can get better at. You started with uh, two, one, only one other guy that was previously on the team. How do you feel the chemistry is coming along between you guys? Um, I feel like it's been coming along real well. I mean, we went to Greece over the summer. Um, everyone came pretty early in the summer, so we've been getting to know each other, beginning to play with each other, and I feel like we're slowly growing real well together. What does these what do, what do these overseas trips do in terms of chemistry? Like, take us through some of the things you guys did both on and off the court to get closer. Um, we all, we actually we were there for ten days. We played three games. So uh, I mean, during the games, obviously being able to play, uh, everyone being able to play with each other and playing against someone other than ourselves is very helpful uh, to kind of see where we're at, especially at early in the summer, uh, and also just off the court, being able to spend a lot of time together. Um, I mean, it's overseas. You don't have too much. You know, you're not really familiar. You're not really as comfortable. So being able to just figure stuff out with each other and uh, Get to know each other real well is, is super helpful. How do you think your role is going to change from last year? Obviously, last year was there was it was a, a pretty veteran team. Uh, this year, you're one of the few guys who are sticking out uh, from uh, last year's squad. How do you think your role is going to change, or is it going to be the same? Uh, it definitely changed a lot uh, as far as like role, uh, leadership role, and just role on the court. Um, I worked on my game a lot over the summer. Worked on stuff that I kind of liked last year. Uh, a lot of shooting, um, just being more aggressive, uh, learning how to make better reads, just all around, like trying to be the best defender possible, best friend on the court at all times. It's been it's been a big role change, but I've been embracing it. Um, it's been pretty uncomfortable, a lot of learning experiences, but uh, I've been enjoying it. When you talk about being a leader, are you more of a vocal leader or of a do-it-right uh, kind of leader and showing an example? Uh, I would say for me, they kind of go hand-in-hand. Hand. I'm definitely a vocal leader, but, uh, I mean, it, it doesn't do any justice being a vocal leader if you aren't out there doing what you're supposed to do. So over the summer, I've been kind of just working on both, to be honest, uh, working on using my voice as well as making sure I'm doing my job so that when I do uh, have to talk to my teammates or whatever it may be, I mean, they, they know they can trust me and, and know that I'm telling them what's right. You mentioned on working on your shooting in the off season. Obviously, last year not the best uh, from three point land. But when you come out in this exhibition game and go five of ten, is that some of the stuff that you had been working on? Yes, a hundred percent. I mean, one thing we always talk about is the work we do in the dark will will reveal itself in the light. So, 
Um, I'm happy that that was shown in the exhibition game, and I plan on just carrying it on throughout the entire season. Uh, the other thing that it was kind of I noticed is the double digits and assists. How important is it for you to get others involved as much as getting yourself involved when you feel like you have an open shot? Uh, I, well, with Coach's style of play, uh, I mean, he wants everyone to be able to do a little bit of everything, you know what I'm saying? So for us to be able to play together real well, it was more so like just his style of play. Like That's how we play. We want to be able to make open shots, take the right shots, but also uh, move the ball, make quick decisions, um, yeah, and just make plays for each other. Uh, so that was just part of us, like creating our advantages and just making the most out of them. It felt like last year under Coach Rhodes, the half-court offense would get stagnant at times. How much different and how much better potentially could this half-court offense be under Coach Odom? Um, I just think they really have different styles. I mean, I don't think there was – I think last year we were obviously a really good team. And to be honest, the, the way I think about it and, and the way we talk about it as a team is we want to do what that team did last year as far as winning the regular season, winning the A-10 tournament, and going to March Madness. So – I mean, I just think their styles are different. I think they're both really good coaches. and Yeah, I mean, it's it's just – I think it's a little different style of play uh, for VCU, but I'm, both are, are really good. Was there ever a doubt that you were coming back ne- this coming season, even when your coach left? Um, I think there's always – you know, there's like that, that period when it first happened where it's like, okay, what am I going to do next? But um, after just being patient, taking some time to think about it uh, – Especially after already transferring once. I think it was a pretty easy decision to stay. Uh, and I'm just happy in the direction it's going right now, for sure. How weird is it going to be, and how weird has it been so far, that you're playing with a spider that you probably went up against last year, and, you know, you guys have that hated rivalry, and now he's on <laughs> your roster? I mean, I, I love playing with Jay now. It's been super fun. Um, he's a really good player, and I think he fits our system real well, and it shows, and... Yeah, I mean, like I said, with with everyone, we've just all gotten so comfortable with each other, playing with each other for so long since the summer and being able to take that trip. Uh, it's kind of – it feels normal at this point. Is it weird to have all these Richmond guys on there, or is this nice because potentially you could get some home cooking from some of them if they go home? <laughs> nah, it's it's awesome. I mean, I'm, I'm happy they're able to come back home and put on for a city and, you know, be close to family. And I think it's just a real good situation for all of them. Zeb, what does it mean that, uh, you know, those first four games of the season, you're going to be home and be able to play uh, in front of your fans as you guys do this transition period and continue to learn what Coach Odom wants you to do? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm real excited. I think it's going to be a, a real good first game. I mean, East State is a, is a good team, um, obviously with a really good coach, and uh, I think it'll be a real fun game to open up with in, in the Seagull Center. How much can you learn about a team? Obviously, a lot of the squads that you play are going to have different players on their roster. They're going to have some holdovers from last year, or they're going to have new coaches. How how much do you use the film, and how much do you kind of learn about a team as you play them that night? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's kind of similar to our exhibition game. I mean, we weren't sure. They had a lot of turnover from last year, um, and it was a good kind of like uh, practice, you know, to – to see what we'll have to do for this new state game with all the new players they have, obviously the new coach, and um, just a little more uncertainty. But, I mean, we'll, we'll prepare the best we can and uh, just be ready to play hard. For people who may not have seen the exhibition or the black and gold game so far, tell us, I mean, obviously this is a roster full of exciting players, but who do you think the fans should be most excited to see besides you on the court? I really just think the fans should be excited to just see the, the the style of play this year. I think it's real, real exciting, real up and down. A lot of shots going up. 
Um, but yeah, I can't even really say one player. I just think everyone this year is just. They, I think everyone fits. I think everyone is is growing tremendously uh, and, and quickly. And I think the the more season goes on and the better we begin to play with each other, the more comfortable we get. It just keep getting better. Before we let you go, Zeb, obviously the the school created the NIL collective a couple of months ago. It's been in place for a little bit. How's the NIL stuff been for you so far? Um, it's been pretty good. I mean, it's still new to VCU, and um, everyone's still kind of trying to get a better understanding of, of what it is and what it does for us. But uh, so far, it's been good, and uh, I'm excited to see that grow for sure. I mean, NIL is a a, a huge change in college basketball, I feel like, and it, it's super helpful to the players. Yeah, I'm, I've been enjoying it so far. Uh, last question for you. What did you guys make? The preseason poll comes out. You guys are are picked to finish second. Do you use that as a chip on your shoulder that you're not picked first, or are you guys pretty happy to see early on that people think you're going to have a good season? Uh, we talk about having a chip on our shoulder regardless of the preseason rankings. I mean, they obviously have no impact on, on what really happens, and uh, Coach emphasizes our team chip on our shoulder and our individual chip uh, each and every day. So. Uh, not just the season, but even every day in practice. What is that chip? Uh, what motivates you? And um, yeah, I mean, we just we use all of it as motivation. Even if we're number one, it beat us having a chip on our shoulder. Because uh, I mean, every time everyone plays us, we're gonna, they're going to give us their, their best game. Monday night, Siegel Center. The college basketball season gets underway. VCU hosting McNeese State at seven o'clock. Zeb, have a great season, and uh, hopefully, we can catch up again soon. Appreciate you, Matt. Yeah, that was uh, that was Zeb from yesterday. Uh, I'm I think VCU can go in a bunch of different directions, and I think the way that they laid out at least the early part of the schedule with a lot of home games is going to help out with so many potential question marks and you know needing to take some time to build some chemistry. I, I think ultimately they're going to regret not having more better games, but I understand. Like this is what you when you have a new coach like they do. You have to look at how he scheduled previously, and uh, Utah State didn't exactly schedule very well uh, if you look at their previous seasons. Now, he's had some veteran teams and still didn't schedule very well. You look at last year, they uh, played, according to Ken Pomeroy, the 83rd ranked non-conference schedule, but I think part of it was they got Washington State, they got um, Loyola Marymount in in these little tournaments, but like, you know, Utah Valley, Bradley, Santa Clara, San Diego, Oral Roberts, Utah Tech, like there wasn't a ton of tough games there. Uh, I think, I mean, look, if VCU just racks up wins, that it won't matter that a lot of them come against lesser competition. If they start losing some of these games that they're not supposed to early on, then the fact that their non-conference schedule is not as tough as it has been in the past, that's going to hurt them. McNeese State, the first opponent on Ken Pomeroy's numbers, is 187th. Uh, Samford is 139th, which is better than I thought. Radford is 168th. And Seattle who has been good in the past, is 124. So at least early on, um, maybe these are a little bit tougher games, but we'll see. Um, the season starts on Monday. Uh, if you missed that, if you missed any of that interview, it'll be up on our website. And uh, just like Neil Quinn, who we had on yesterday from the Richmond Spiders, as we continue our discussion of college basketball. All right, let's take a timeout. Coming up, we did this a couple weeks ago. 
Bill Connolly, uh, one of the nerds at ESPN, has been doing his nerd numbers with regards to all of the college football teams across all the levels. We did it like two weeks ago. We'll update you, and then I'll update you on my power rankings in the state. Where do all the major teams that we follow end up on Bill Connolly's list of the top 760 teams across all of the levels from FBS to NAIA? We'll tell you next, 1061 ESPN. Cowboys all season is 1061 ESPN. Brought to you by Arthur's Electric and Park and Go. Welcome back. 1061 ESPN. Matt Joseph's here. Uh, coming up on the show tomorrow, uh, Tim Murray will join us as we discuss the weekend slate. We'll update you on the lines in just a moment. There's not really been that much movement, so certainly nothing like what's been going on in the Duke game. And um, we'll also have Kevin Sheehan on to uh, discuss commanders and patriots and get his thoughts on the trades and uh, where the direction is of the teams going. Uh, as I've said, he is a little different than I am, and obviously he's closer than I am. He does not think they hired uh, Eric Bieniemy to make him the head coach. I do. So we may get into that uh, as well tomorrow as we close out the show like we do each and every Friday. Um, so I got a text here. Because I asked for some people's survivor opinions. John texted me and said that he has not decided between Baltimore over Seattle or New Orleans over Chicago. Classic case of better team playing a better team versus a worse team with a larger spread. Uh, Baltimore is a six-point favorite. They opened up as a four-and-a-half-point favorite. So money coming in on the Ravens. Ravens playing good football. Um, Seattle's pretty good, though. Um, we know Baltimore's tough to beat at home, but then you've also got New Orleans, who that line's gone up three points so far, and uh, the Bears are not very good, but New Orleans isn't what they used to be. So it's a tough, it's a tough week. I'll tell you that there's some easier weeks coming up. You just kind of get, get kind of got to get past this one. Cowboys Giants next week, so that one's there for you. Um, but you got to get past this week first. You got to. The funny thing about survivor pools, like this year, I decided before the season began, I made a matrix and wrote down, you know, by week every team that I would pick, and then I've kind of been altering it. Obviously, injuries change things a little bit. So one week, you know, before the season, I might have taken Carolina at home against Indianapolis. Well, obviously now I'm not going to, so I've made some changes to it. But the other thing that kind of this shows you is. You can't account for injuries, you know? You can't find, uh, you can't account for any sort of injuries whatsoever. So um, you may plan a game for later in the season, but if the quarterback is injured, you're not going to actually play them. By the way, before we get to um, the, the list here, DraftKings has put out the lines already for college basketball on Monday. The lines are already out. Now, I'll tell you the state school ones. Obviously, we can't bet on them here. Virginia is a 15.5-point favorite against Tarleton State. Totals 127.5. George Mason, a 12.5-point favorite against Monmouth. 137.5 the total. Richmond, a 16.5-point favorite over VMI. 136 the total there. Um, as you can tell, so far, some easy matchups for the, for the state schools. Scrolling down, JMU is a 15.5-point underdog at Michigan State, 143.5 is the total there. Um, VCU, an 11.5-point favorite against McNeese State, 142 is the total for that one. And Radford is a 17.5-point underdog at UNC. Longwood is an 11.5-point 11 11 underdog at St. Bonaventure. 
I'm still uh, Tech is a 25 point favorite over Coppin State, and that's pretty much everybody from the state that there is lines for. As you can tell by the names and the opponents, it's not exactly going to be a great Monday. It's going to be one of those things where we're like, hey, we're really excited. College basketball's back. Oh yeah, my team's playing like an NAI team or a Division Six team, but it counts and it's back. And uh, we'll keep you posted as the week goes along, and we'll talk more about it on Monday as we get closer to the action. All right, so we did this a couple weeks ago on Bob's show. Bill Connolly, who is a nerd uh, for ESPN, he does this SP+. Don't ask me what the formula is. I don't know. I don't care. I don't do nerd stuff necessarily. He's got a Google document. You can follow him on Twitter at ESPN underscore Bill C., um, he does these things and he ranks now before he was ranking just like 600 teams and then he wasn't including the NAIA. Now he's including the NAIA. And so there's 760 teams on his list. And, um, here's what he has. So first up is JMU as expected, as it should be, uh, at 40th, he has JMU as the 40th best team in the country by his rankings. He still thinks air force is better in the group of five. I, I disagree. I think James Madison has been tested more than the air force. And I think JMU's better than the air force, but he has JMU ahead of Tulane who is 43. So he would have JMU as the second best group of five team by his nerd numbers. You're probably saying who's next. Well, Moving up five spots from where they were last week is Liberty. Liberty is at 47. So Liberty and JMU, the gap is closing a little bit. The gap is closing. Um, The gap is also closing between Liberty and the next team, Virginia Tech, who is 60th right now. They moved up seven spots. So Virginia Tech is 60th in between Mississippi State and South Carolina. So Virginia Tech is better than Shane Beamer's bunch in the uh, SEC. Next up is Virginia. I have to scroll down a little bit. Virginia is 88th. Okay. Virginia is 88th. They moved up five spots from last week. Right now, where Virginia is, three FCS teams are better South Dakota State, North Dakota State, and Montana State. By the way, he has South Dakota State is better than any team in the state of Virginia. I, I mean, I don't know. I'd have to see. I, have no, I haven't seen North, uh, South Dakota State yet. So Virginia is 88th. Then we keep scrolling down. Old Dominion is at 106. All right. So Old Dominion, who fell two spots, is at 106 in the list. That would make, and there are four FCS teams who are better than them. Uh, excuse me, five. Delaware and Holy Cross made the list as well. So we're at 106. The Richmond Spiders are 148 on this list. That's up 24 spots. The Spiders are 148. They are currently better than, according to this list, 1, 2, 5, 6, 8, 10, 12, 13 FBS programs. So according to Bill Connolly of ESPN, the Richmond Spiders are better than 13 FBS programs at 148. One spot below them, William & Mary is at 149. Then after that, we have to scroll down a bit. We are now out of all the FBS teams at 207 is the Virginia Union Panthers. VUU, who's got the the matchup this weekend with Virginia State, they are 207th on this list. That's pretty impressive for Virginia Union. Um, They moved up four spots from last week. Virginia State is the next school. They are 243. They moved up one spot. Uh, Virginia State is at 243. So that matchup between Union and State should be a pretty good one, considering the two schools. After that, 
we keep going down. And at 271 is Randolph Macon. So Randolph Macon is up there in terms of uh all these teams that we talk about, Randolph Macon is up there. So that's great for, for them. 287 is Norfolk State. 295 is VMI. Uh, 491 is Christopher Newport. And then the lowest of the teams like that we follow and care about is Hampton-Sydney at 521. So Hampton-Sydney is at 521. And there are actually one, there are actually several. Division two teams that he thinks Hampton Sydney is better than, including UVA Wise, which obviously we don't do a lot of UVA Wise, but they are better than UVA Wise. So that's the list. It's interesting. If you want a time suck for tonight or today or Friday during work, go look this up because obviously um, this list is very fascinating to say the least in terms of where your school fits in. Uh, in terms of all this stuff. By the way, for those wondering, the best team is Michigan, Georgia, Ohio State, Oregon, Texas. That's the top five. Your bottom five is Juniata, Dean, Lawrence, Oberlin, and Fitchburg State. Fitchburg State has been the worst uh, so far every single time that we've uh, done this. And Where every... is Fitchburg State? Uh, I will say it's in New York. No, it's in Massachusetts. It's in that Fitchburg, Massachusetts. Their enrollment is not very many, 4,659. So there's not a lot of people there. Um, so, yeah, that's what uh, Bill Connolly has. A uh, quick check of the bracketology here. I go to Hero Sports. They do a fantastic job with the FCS. Uh, there's several other places that you can go. They have the automatic bid going to Delaware, getting the sixth seed overall. They have Albany. And Villanova getting at-large bids. That's the only two other ones. I'm doing a quick look. And then in the left-out category, ordered from best chance to worst chance, William Mary's 26th, second one out. Richmond is fourth out. William Mary, so this is the blurb they have. William Mary's 5-3, five 5-2 and three, five and two versus the FCS with no ranked wins. It snapped the three-game losing streak last week. The Tribe can get into the playoff projected field by winning at Albany this week. If they lose and then win out Hampton and Richmond, they would have seven victories but no ranked wins unless Richmond, who is receiving votes right now, is in the top 25 by week 12. So funny because we, you know, we just kind of assumed that William Mary was going to make the playoffs. And now they're out. And their schedule's not exactly helping them, which is where, once again, adding a bunch of teams to this conference and then just plopping them into random squad schedules just didn't help. The blurb for Richmond says, Watch out for Richmond after an 0-2 start and a 2-3 record in September. The Spires have won four straight to sit at 6-3, 6-2 versus the FCS. They also do not have a ranked win. Two games remain versus Elon and at-ranked William & Mary. The winner of that last game could be in for a playoff bid. If Richmond beats Elon and loses to William & Mary, a 7-4 Spiders team may be left out due to no ranked wins and a projected year-end strength of schedule ranked 84th. I mean, basically... It's very simple. The Spiders don't make the playoffs. It's because they lost to Morgan State and because they lost by a lot at home to Hampton. It's very simple. Very simple. And this is where, and we've talked about I've talked about it with Bob, and I've, I've mentioned this in general. Like, it's all well and good if you're the CAA to expand, and they're going to expand once again. They're adding somebody else, I think, next year. It's all well and good to expand, but 
be mindful of who you put on your schedules. You kind of had to know entering the season. Delaware, Richmond, Villanova, Elon, William & Mary, Rhode Island most likely because Kasim Hill's back for his 15th year. Like You kind of had an idea who the good teams were. You probably should have had them all play each other. You probably should have done a round robin. Instead, you gave Richmond. Here's Richmond's conference opponents this season. Their conference records. Stony Brook. 0 and 6. Hampton, 2 and 3. Maine, 1 and 5. Rhode Island, 3 and 3. NCA and T, 0 and 5. Campbell, 3 and 3. Elon, 4 and 1. William Mary, 3 and 2. Like, if they don't, if the CAA doesn't get enough play, teams in the playoffs, point to the commissioner as the reason why. Point to the people in that front office is the reason why. If Richmond takes NCA and T out of their schedule and puts Delaware in, if Richmond takes Hampton out of their schedule and puts Villanova in, those losses are at least better because their opponents are better. I mean, you can't completely absolve the Spiders for obviously not playing very well in that game. You can't absolve them for that. But, like, my goodness, the conference didn't help anybody. Look at William Mary. Let me pull up William Mary's uh, conference schedule and then we'll. We'll take our break in just a second. Ooh, excellent. We'll get to him in just a second. If you look at the opponents that William Mary got, William Mary opened with Campbell. As I said, they're three and three. Maine's one and five. Elon's four and one. Towson is two and three. Monmouth is two and three. Albany is ranked, so that's good. Four and one. Hampton is one, uh, two and three. And then the Richmond game, they did. They helped William Mary out a little bit better. But man, it is. It's This is what I always said the A-10 needed to do. The A-10 needed to make sure that the A-10 teams played everybody twice in terms of the best team. So last year, you know, VCU had to play Dayton twice. VCU had to play some of the other schools that were really good twice because guess what? Bernadette McGlade could fix that sort of thing. Well, whoever the commissioner is for the CAA didn't do that. And now he's looking potentially at a conference, or she, I don't know, I'm looking at Joe D'Antonio. Joe D'Antonio is looking potentially at a CAA that should have gotten four or five teams in the postseason, and they're only getting like two or three. And you know why? Because they didn't help out the teams and properly schedule them uh, before the season began. That's the frustrating thing. Now, as I said, a lot of the blame still goes to Richmond. They shouldn't have lost at home to Hampton. They shouldn't have lost to Morgan State. But still, you did not set them up to overcome those sort of things by giving them a weak conference schedule. They didn't need to play NCA and T. They didn't need to play Hampton. They didn't need to play some of the other bad teams, other Maine, whatever. Be smarter. You know, these commissioners know who's going to be good, most likely. You could set your watch to Villanova being good and William Mary being good and Delaware being good and, you know, Elon occasionally being good. Like, you can set your watch to it as well as, as I said, as long as Rhode Island has Kasim Hill, and thankfully I think this is his last year, Rhode Island's going to be pretty good. You could set this up better. They did not. Richmond didn't help them by losing to Hampton, and now they need help to get in the playoffs. They need to finish out, and they need Elon and William Mary to keep winning so those wins look better. Because I don't think they're getting in at 8-3 and three with no ranked uh, victories, with no ranked opponents. With bad losses and no ranked wins, I don't think they're getting in. Uh, do we have time? All right, let's go to the phones. I haven't heard from this guy in a while. Alton, what's going on, Alton? What's up, man? How you been doing, man? I'm good. How are you doing? 
I man, still still hanging in there with them with that team up north, man. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what's going on, man, but I do know this. All them, all them people that keep saying they think it's going to be a change and all that, to, in my point, I feel hers is just bad. It's not because hers still keeping the problem there instead of getting rid of the problem. Ron Rivera should have went when they lost against Chicago. He's not gone. And now whoever comes in, whether it's the enemy or whoever, he has set them up for failure because he's going to just start getting rid of everybody. As, as, as we sitting here talking now, he probably had in his mind to get rid of five to six more people yesterday, um, Tuesday, during the draft deadline. I mean, during the, um, the trade deadline. Then he got rid of now. The man just got a gold mat, and they don't understand that. In order for that team to be where that team's supposed to be with the franchise quarterback they got, he got a gold man. Are you a Sam Howell believer? Yeah, I like Sam Howell. So you're willing to have him be your franchise quarterback going forward? Yup. Okay. Then that's 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 good. Good to hear from you, Alton. Same here, man. Thank you, man. All right, uh, that's that's Alton, our our dedicated Commanders fan. I, I mean, I've I've said this all along. I, I said they should have fired somebody after the the Bears game. They've basically said this is a gap year. They're willing to have whatever happen to basically just keep status quo. I, I said, look, Josh Harris looks really good as a as a as a Daniel Snyder replacement. In a couple of years, you will not like Josh Harris either. Although Josh Harris did apparently help call the Clippers and get this James Harden deal done for the Sixers, but like. He's going to be an absentee owner. It's great. He's going to get you your stadium probably. You'll probably enjoy where it is. But like eventually, you're never going to hear from James, uh, from him, from Josh Harris. And that's just the way it is. Um, unfortunately for the Commanders fans who have gone through a bunch of tough years, this is a gap year. There will be no changes unless somebody quits, unfortunately. Um, that's not the way it should be in the NFL. It's too physical. There's too many injuries. Too many things can happen. You shouldn't just rely on this year just being like, ah, we don't care. We're just fine. We're just going to see what the quarterback is. That's literally our only goal for the season. They should have fired Ron Rivera after Chicago. They didn't. They should have fired Jack Del Rio after Chicago. They didn't. That tells me they're like, ah, the fans will come. Daniel Snyder's gone. Well, the fans are going to come to the games, but they're going to be the opposing fans. They're going to be Giants fans, Dolphin fans. 49ers fans, Cowboys fans. That's what FedEx Field's going to be. And Josh Harris will be like, ah, it's fine. Uh, let's take a timeout. We'll do our uh, final segment. You're listening to 1061 ESPN. Big Al doesn't care how the duck is prepped. I don't care if he eats raw duck. Or what anyone thinks. I don't care about what he thinks. But he does care about what you do from 8 to 10 weekday mornings. So spend that time with him on 1061 ESPN. Welcome back. Uh, final minute of the show. Thanks to Alton. Uh, I, I, I always enjoy hearing from uh, one of my favorite Commanders fans. Uh, please call back as much as you can. Because, I mean, I've been saying the same thing with regards to uh, this year. That Ron Rivera should have been gone a while ago. Uh, we will talk. Commanders tomorrow, hopefully. Uh, Kevin Sheehan will be on the show around 3.30, and uh, we'll have Tim Murray on to uh, give us his thoughts on the weekend in college football. Some interesting games.